You are tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman. Hello, this is Roy Showman, and welcome again to Salvation is from the Jews, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic faith, or, seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the completion, the full realization of Judaism in the Catholic Church. Now, today's show is going to be one oriented around where we are on the liturgical calendar, the Catholic liturgical calendar as well as the Jewish liturgical calendar, because as you are hearing this show, we are in fact in the middle of Hanukkah, which this year began on the eve of Thanksgiving, and also this year, very interestingly or providentially, occurred right around the time, or rather immediately after, the Catholic lectionary for the Masses gave the story of Hanukkah from the Book of the Maccabees. If you've been to uh, daily and Sunday Mass the last couple of weeks, you may remember those readings. So I want to speak today about Hanukkah, about its meaning in the Jewish context, and also about the Christological implications of Hanukkah. Now, the story of Hanukkah is told in the uh, Book of the Maccabees. In fact, it's recounted in both 1st Maccabees and 2nd Maccabees, which, as you probably know, are books in the Catholic Old Testament, although they are not included in the, in the Protestant Old Testament. And in fact, right now, these days, they're not in the Jewish canon of Scripture either. The fact that they are uh, taken very seriously within Judaism is proven by the fact that if they weren't, we wouldn't have, or rather Judaism wouldn't have the Feast of Hanukkah, since the story of Hanukkah only occurs in the books of the Maccabees. And in fact, in the days of Jesus and in the centuries preceding Jesus, uh, it is most likely that the books of the Maccabees were in the Jewish canon, uh, which is in fact why they are still in the Catholic Old Testament canon, and they were simply dropped from the Protestant canon at the time of the Reformation because their references in, the, uh, in Maccabees to the virtuous practice of praying for the dead and therefore indirectly a confirmation of purgatory. So for theological reasons, the Protestant reformers decided that they had to be excluded from sacred scripture. Now, the Feast of Hanukkah this year began on the eve of Thanksgiving on Wednesday, November 27th at sundown. The day that it begins on our calendar varies from year to year, from around now, from around uh, the tail end of November until the tail end of December. I mentioned this previously on a show, but the Jewish calendar is a lunar solar calendar, which means that it tries to stay in sync to some extent with the sun, but it also tries to stay in sync with the phases of the moon, such that the first day of every Jewish month falls on a new moon whereas the calendar that the Catholic Church uses, and and therefore that basically Western civilization uses now, the calendar that we're all familiar with, with January through December, is a solar calendar uh, in which the months may start on any phase of the moon, but the solar cycle always occurs on the same day of the calendar. In other words, the equinox is always always falls on the same date and the longest day of the year always falls on the same date and so forth. So because of this, because our calendar 
our conventional calendar is a solar calendar and the Jewish calendar is a solar lunar calendar, there is a little lack of synchronization between the two and a day on the Jewish calendar can fall anywhere within a range of about five or six weeks on our calendar. However, nonetheless, every year the festival of Hanukkah falls around Christmas time. It's also perhaps a little bit interesting that the date on the Jewish calendar on which Hanukkah falls is the 25th day of the month of Kislev, and therefore there is a little bit of an echo of Christmas following on the 25th day of December, since the month of Kislev falls around December, and Hanukkah does always begin on the 25th day of that month. Anyway, let me begin by telling the story of Hanukkah. First of all, a little synopsis of the story of Hanukkah. In some sense, the story begins with Alexander the Great, who lived about the 4th century BC, who conquered the entire region of the Middle East. After his death, his uh, generals fought over the remaining kingdom, and it ended up being split up. And at the time that uh, the immediate story of Hanukkah begins, about 170 BC, the area around Israel was under a Greek Syrian ruler, Antiochus IV. Now, Antiochus IV tried to force the Greek culture upon the people in his territory, and the Jews in Israel were forbidden to uh, pursue their Jewish religious practices as well as study of the Torah. Uh, some of the religious Jews in the region took up arms to revolt, to protect their community and their religion, and the leader of that revolt was the um, patriarch, so to speak, of the family became, who became known as the Maccabees. After three years of fighting, or about 165 BC, the Maccabees victoriously reclaimed the temple on Jerusalem's Mount Moriah, and they prepared the temple for rededication. In fact, the word Hanukkah means dedication because the festival of Hanukkah is a festival of the rededication of the temple. The victory of the Maccabees itself was somewhat miraculous, but then when they did take possession of the temple and reconsecrate it, another miracle occurred, at least according to the Talmud, which was that the temple being the place where the presence of God dwelled was to have a light that burned continually, and at the end of the war, when the Maccabees retook the temple, there was enough, only enough pure oil found to enable that light to stay lit for one day. But that they lit that light and it miraculously stayed lit for eight days until they were able to get more supplies of sufficiently pure oil and refill the lamp. So that's the second, and in some sense, the central, culturally central miracle of Hanukkah was the uh, miraculous burning of that lamp for eight days. Now, since the story of Hanukkah comes from the book of the Maccabees, I will uh, read the account from the book of the Maccabees for a couple of reasons. One is that it is a very, very beautiful um, testimony of the purity of the temple and the purity of the religious Jews in the days of the temple before Christ. So as I mentioned, uh, Judea and Israel were under the rule of a Greek emperor, Antiochus, whose name, who actually called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God made manifest, which in itself shows 
the pagan nature of um, his religion at that time, making himself virtually a god, as some of the Greek and Roman emperors did. Anyway, um, Antiochus Epiphanes was ruling the area at the time, and with that background, let me go to the book of the Maccabees, reading from 1 Maccabees chapter 1 around verse 10. From them came forth a sinful root, Antiochus Epiphanes, son of Antiochus the king. He had been a hostage in Rome. He began to reign in the 137th year of the kingdom of the Greeks. Now that uh, translates to about 165 BC. In those days lawless men came forth from Israel and misled many, saying, Let us go and make a covenant with the Gentiles around about us. For since we separated from them, many evils have come upon us. This proposal pleased them, and some of the people eagerly went to the king. He authorized them to observe the ordinances of the Gentiles. So they built a gymnasium in Jerusalem, according to Gentile custom, and removed the marks of circumcision and abandoned the Holy Covenant. They joined with the Gentiles and sold themselves to do evil. Now let me add a comment here. Not only were they adopting Greek culture and wanting to basically um, abandon Judaism and enter into the, the culture and lifestyle and religion of the Greeks, but they formally abandoned the Holy Covenant, that is circumcision and the uh, maintenance of the Jewish dietary laws and so forth. And also, frankly, in the, in the context of building a gymnasium and adopting Greek culture, most scholars think there was also an implication that they were adopting the homosexual practices, which was common in the Greek world associated with the gymnasium and the culture of uh, physical beauty of young men. Anyway, going back to 1 Maccabees, after subduing Egypt, Antiochus returned in the 143rd year. He went up against Israel and came to Jerusalem with a strong force he arrogantly entered the sanctuary and took the golden altar, the lampstand, and all its utensils. He also took the table for the bread of the presence, the cups for drink offerings, the bowls, the golden censers, the curtain, the crowns, and the gold decoration on the front of the temple. He stripped it all off. He took the silver and the gold and the costly vessels. He took also the hidden treasures which he found. Taking them all, he departed to his own land. He committed deeds of murder and spoke with great arrogance. Now to again interject a comment, uh, because of the wars that he was engaging in, Antiochus Epiphanes, he had a great need for funds to fund the military expeditions, and that was the heart of his motivation for despoiling the temple and for confiscating not only the temple treasury of money, which was for the poor, but also all of the precious gold and silver vessels in the temple and so forth. Anyway, once he had despoiled the temple, the Jews would be no longer able to offer sacrifice, would no longer be able to maintain the sacramental covenantal system that they had in the Old Testament, which centered around temple sacrifice and temple worship. Now going back to 1 Maccabees, Israel mourned deeply in every community. Rulers and elders groaned, maidens and young men became faint, the beauty of women faded. Every bridegroom took up the lament. She who sat in the bridal chamber was mourning. Even the land shook for its inhabitants, and all the house of Jacob was clothed with shame. Two years later, the king sent to the cities of Judah a chief collector of tribute, 
and he came to Jerusalem with a large force. Deceitfully he spoke peaceable words to them, and they believed him, but he suddenly fell upon the city, dealt it a severe blow, and destroyed many people of Israel. He plundered the city, burned it with fire, tore down its houses and its surrounding walls, and took captive the women and children, and seized the cattle. On every side of the sanctuary they shed blood they shed innocent blood, they even defiled the sanctuary. Because of them the residents of Jerusalem fled, she became a dwelling of strangers, she became strange, her offspring and her children forsook her. Her sanctuary became desolate as a desert, her feasts were turned into mourning, her Sabbaths into a reproach, her honor into contempt into contempt. Her dishonor now grew as great as her glory, her exaltation was turned into mourning. Then the king wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people, and that each should give up his customs. All the Gentiles accepted the command of the king. Many, even from Israel, gladly adopted his religion. They sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. So again, interjecting a comment, you see that the temple sanctuary, that Jerusalem was virtually destroyed, the temple sanctuary was defiled. We know from other sources that the Greek king um, instituted pagan animal sacrifices, unclean animal sacrifices in the temple on the altar, even sacrificing uh, pigs on the high altar, the pig being the emblem of uncleanness, according to Jewish ritual law, and intentionally uh, defiled the temple and made Jewish worship uh, impossible. Continuing with First Maccabees, And the king sent letters by messengers to Jerusalem and the cities of Judah. He directed them to follow customs strange to the land, to forbid burnt offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings in the sanctuary, to profane Sabbaths and feasts, to defile the sanctuary and the priests, to build altars and sacred precincts and shrines for idols, to sacrifice swine and unclean animals, and to leave their sons uncircumcised. They were to make themselves abominable by everything unclean and profane, so that they should forget the law and change all the ordinances, and whoever does not obey the command of the king shall die. In such words he wrote to his whole kingdom, and he appointed inspectors over all the people and commanded the cities of Judah to offer sacrifice city by city. Many of the people, everyone who forsook the law, joined them, and they did evil in the land, They drove Israel into hiding in every place of refuge they had. Now, on the fifteenth day of Kislev, they erected a desolating sacrilege upon the altar of burnt offering. They built altars in the surrounding cities of Judah and burned incense at the doors of the houses and in the streets. The books of the law which they found they tore to pieces and burned with fire. Where the book of the covenant was found in the possession of anyone, or if anyone adhered to the law, the decree of the king condemned him to death. They kept using violence against Israel, against those they found month after month. And on the 25th day of the month of Kislev, they offered sacrifice on the altar, which was upon the altar of burnt offering. According to decree, they put to death the women who had their children circumcised and their families and those who circumcised them. And they hung the infants from their mother's necks. But many in Israel stood firm and were resolved in their hearts not to eat unclean food. They chose to die rather than to be defiled by food or to profane the holy covenant, and they did die, and very great wrath came upon Israel.
Now there are a number of things we see here. First of all, as a little bit of a digression, um, I think that as, as Catholics living in the culture that we're living in now, one can identify to some extent with what went on with the Jews under the Greek rule because um, it's not impossible to imagine that the day is coming when Catholics, as a matter of fact, the day has already come in some sense when Catholics are being forced by the government to act against um, their moral and religious law in the form of subsidizing uh, subsidizing abortion, I hate to say it. And more and more, um, there's this heavy-handed imposition of the force of government trying to, frankly, um, eradicate serious serious um, religious identity in the interest, perhaps a little bit like the interest that the Greeks had at the time of homogenizing everybody into a single obedient flock. For, of course, whoever obeys God um, does not obey Caesar in the matters that pertain to God, and this, of course, infuriates Caesar. So that's one thing that clearly comes through beneath the surface in this reading. The other thing that's worth pointing out is that the final desecration of the temple, when they offered um, impure sacrifice on the high altar, was the 25th day of the month of Kislev. In other words, was the day on which Hanukkah falls. And we will see that it was on the anniversary of that day that the temple was um, purified and re-consecrated. So um, after that description of the of the um, destruction of Jewish religious life under the Greeks, we come to the story of the founder of the Maccabees, whose name was Mattathias. And so uh, let me read that section. This is now from First Maccabees chapter 2. Then the king's officers who were enforcing the apostasy came to the city of Modane to make them offer sacrifice. Many from Israel came to them, and Mattathias and his sons were assembled. Then the king's officers spoke to Mattathias and said, You are a leader, honored and great in the city, and supported by sons and brothers. Now be the first to come and do what the king commands, as all the Gentiles and the men of Judah and those that are left in Jerusalem have done. Then you and your sons will be numbered among the friends of the king, and you and your sons will be honored with silver and gold and many gifts. But Mattathias answered and said in a loud voice, even if all the nations that live under the rule of the king obey him and have chosen to do his commandments, departing each one from the religion of his fathers, yet I and my sons and my brothers will live by the covenant of our fathers. Far be it from us to desert the law and the ordinances. We will not obey the king's words by turning aside from our religion to the right hand or the left. When he had finished speaking these words, a Jew came forward in the sight of all to offer sacrifice upon the altar according to the king's command. When Mattathias saw this, he burned with zeal and his heart was stirred. He gave vent to righteous anger. He ran and killed him upon the altar. At the same time, he killed the king's officer who was forcing them to sacrifice, and he tore down the altar. Thus he burned with zeal for the law, as Phineas did against Zimri the son of Salu. Then Mattathias cried out in the city with loud voice, saying, Let everyone who is zealous for the law and supports the covenant come out with me. And he and his sons fled to the hills and left all they had in the city. 
Now I'll just synopsize the, uh, the, the following passages. They hid in the hills. They waged a guerrilla war against the occupying Greek army. They eventually won, defeated the uh, Greek army, and were able to re-enter Jerusalem. And then picking up at that point, back to 1 Maccabees, when they uh, entered Jerusalem, they saw the sanctuary desolate, the altar profaned, and the gates burned. In the courts they saw bushes sprung up as a thicket, or as on one of the mountains. They saw the chambers of the priests in ruins, then they rent their clothes and mourned with great lamentation, and sprinkled themselves with ashes. They fell face down on the ground and sounded the signal on the trumpets and cried out to heaven. Then Judas detailed men to fight against those in the citadel until he had cleansed the sanctuary. He chose blameless priests devoted to the law, and they cleansed the sanctuary and removed the defiled stones to an unclean place. Then they took unhewn stones as the law directs and built a new altar like the former one. They rebuilt the sanctuary and the interior of the temple and consecrated the courts. They made new holy vessels and brought the lampstand, the altar of incense, and the table into the temple. Then they burned incense on the altar and lighted the lamps on the lampstand, and these gave light in the temple. They, thus they finished all the work they had undertaken, and early in the morning on the 25th day of the ninth month, which is the month of Kislev, in the 148th year, they rose and offered sacrifice as the law directs on the new altar of burnt offering which they had built. At the very season and on the very day that the Gentiles had profaned it, it was dedicated with songs and harps and lutes and cymbals. All the people fell on their faces and worshipped and blessed heaven who had prospered them. So they celebrated the dedication of the altar for eight days and offered burnt offerings with gladness and offered a sacrifice of deliverance and praise. They decorated the front of the temple with golden crowns and small shields. They restored the gates and the chambers for the priests and furnished them with doors. There was very great gladness among the people, and the reproach of the Gentiles was removed. Then Judas and his brothers and all the assembly of Israel determined that every year at that season the days of the dedication of the altar should be observed with gladness and joy for eight days, beginning with the 25th day of the month of Kislev. Thus ends the reading, which is essentially the reading that established Hanukkah. Now, as I mentioned, the reading from Maccabees itself does not mention the miracle of the uh, lamp oil burning for eight days when there was only enough for one. That addition to the story comes from the Talmud, but certainly plays a central role in Jews' celebration of Hanukkah and understanding of the miracle of Hanukkah. Perhaps we can take a moment now as Catholics to pray that should similar persecution befall us and more and more government pressure be placed on Catholics not to obey the law of God, that we might be infused with some of the zeal for the law of God and some of the holy fire of obedience to God's law that fueled the revolt of the Maccabees and enabled them to reconsecrate the temple. Just a couple of etymological notes. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the uh, Hebrew word Hanukkah means dedication because, of course, it is the feast that celebrates the rededication of the temple. And uh, the feast of the dedication appears in the Gospels also. 
we find the account in John chapter 10 of Jesus going up to the temple in Jerusalem at the time of the Feast of the Dedication, which of course was Hanukkah. And let me take a moment and read that passage from John chapter 10, uh, beginning with verse 22. It was the Feast of the Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered round him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me, but you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. End of the passage. It is very beautiful to see here that Jesus' assertion that he was the Messiah, that he is the Messiah, that assertion itself was timed to take place at Hanukkah, the Feast of the Dedication, and not only to take place at Hanukkah, but to take place in the temple itself, as the passage says, in the portico of Solomon, in the temple precincts, in the very same place where the temple was reconsecrated at Hanukkah. Perhaps this would be a not bad time to take our uh, short break, a little musical break, as we often do in the middle of the program, and uh, having introduced this kind of Christological, first Christological echo of Hanukkah in the Gospels, when we come back from the break, I will continue discussing the uh, Christological meaning of Hanukkah, the meaning of Hanukkah in the light of Christ. Be back with you in a few minutes.
You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman. Hi, welcome back. This is Roy Showman. Welcome back to Salvation is from the Jews on Radio Maria. On our show today, which is dedicated to discussing the Feast of Hanukkah that we're in the middle of right now, and uh, in particular, also its Christological implications. Before the break, I went through the story of Hanukkah from the Old Testament, from the Book of Maccabees, and also just before the break, read the passage from John chapter 10, where Jesus finds himself in the temple in Jerusalem during the Feast of Hanukkah, and announces, in fact, in unambiguous terms, that he is the Messiah, that, as he said, quote, I and the Father are one. So why did this take place at Hanukkah, and what's this got to do with Hanukkah, and what does Hanukkah also have to do with Christmas, since Hanukkah falls uh, pretty much at the same time of the year as Christmas? And that's what we're going to talk about right now. Let's consider what the Feast of Hanukkah is. Hanukkah is a celebration of the reconsecration of the Temple. The Temple in Jerusalem, which was, under the Old Covenant, the one place on earth where God dwelt. Now, under the New Covenant in Christianity, we know that we are, in fact, the New Temple. That God now dwells, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Most Holy Trinity, dwells in every Christian soul that is in a state of grace. As Hanukkah celebrates the reconsecration of the dwelling place of God, of the temple, after it had been defiled by the uh, pagan worship, Christmas celebrates the reconsecration of the true dwelling place of God, the human soul, through its reconsecration through, of course, the coming of Christ and the merging of the divine nature and the human nature in one person, in Jesus Christ, making possible the dwelling of God in the human soul. So the temple in Jerusalem, the old temple, was a picture of the new temple, which is the human soul, and the dwelling of God in the temple, in the uh, temple in Jerusalem, was a picture of the dwelling of God in the human soul under Christianity. And just as God was enabled to dwell in the old temple, in the temple in Jerusalem, on the occasion of its rededication at Hanukkah, God is enabled to dwell in the new temple, in the human soul, on on uh, on the occasion of its rededication, its consecration, through the entrance of God into humanity in the birth of Christ. So we see in a very beautiful way the way that Hanukkah is in itself a picture in advance of the coming of Christmas. And therefore we see one of the reasons why in the infinite workings of divine providence that the Feast of Hanukkah should occur as, in fact, the reconsecration of the Temple occurred on the 25th of the month of Kislev, more or less parallel to Christmas occurring on the 25th of the month of December, falling at the same time of the year. We also see through this why Jesus chose to make his announcement that, quote, I and the Father are one, to make his announcement about him being the unification of the human nature and the divine nature 
on during the Feast of Hanukkah in the temple itself. So just to recap, Hanukkah celebrates the reconsecration of the temple in Jerusalem, which is where in Old Testament times God dwelt on earth, after it had been defiled and God was enabled to return to dwelling in the temple. This was a typological foreshadowing of Christmas, which celebrates the incarnation when the divine nature merged with human nature, defiled by the fall, re-establishing man's union with God and God's presence in the world in the form of his indwelling in the human soul, which is the true temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. There are also other, perhaps less deeply, profoundly theological ways in which Hanukkah is a foreshadowing of Christmas. First of all, the Hanukkah celebration in a Jewish home consists of lighting the menorah, the, an eight-branched candlestick. Uh, the first night of Hanukkah, the first candle is lit. The second night of Hanukkah, the first two candles are lit. The third night of Hanukkah, three candles are lit and so forth until the eighth and final night of Hanukkah, when all eight candles are lit. Now, this is obviously, even just visually, extremely reminiscent of the celebration of Advent. Of course, the first Sunday of Advent, one candle on the Advent wreath is lit. Then the second Sunday, the first two candles, and so forth, until the fourth Sunday, when all four candles are lit. And as the Advent wreath, and the candle lighting on the Advent wreath is a picture of Christ, the true light, coming into the world until, of course, it culminates in Christmas, which is when the Word was made flesh and the true light of the world did incarnate and come into the world. So Hanukkah is the festival of lights with a similar building of a progressive increase of, of lights until all eight candles are lit. When Jews celebrate Hanukkah, celebrating the festival of lights in a way unbeknownst to them they're celebrating the true light coming into the world they're celebrating the incarnation of god as man at christmas now let's go to some hanukkah songs and prayers let's begin with the three prayers that are most characteristic of hanukkah they are the prayers which are said when the menorah is lit, when the eight-branched candlestick is lit each night of Hanukkah. There are three prayers. The first two prayers are said upon the lighting of the candles each of the nights of Hanukkah. The third prayer you will hear is said only on the first night of Hanukkah. We will hear a rabbi chanting the prayers, and then I will come back with a translation of the prayers. So here they are. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kidshanu BeMitzvotav Vitzivanu LeHadlik Ner Shel Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shasanisim lavoteinu, Bayamim hahem, Bahazman hazeh. Baruch ata Adonai, 
Eloheinu melech haolam, shehechianu vekiyamanu vehigianu lahazman hazem. I hope you also found that quite moving and beautiful. Now for the translation of the prayers. Uh, first I'll, I'll recite the uh, prayer and then I'll give the English translation. The first prayer was Baruch HaTadonai Eloheinu Melech Olam Asher Kitshanu B'Mitzvotav V'Tzivanu Lahadligner Shel Hanaka. The translation of that is Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to light the lights of Hanukkah. The second prayer that you heard chanted is Baruch HaTadonai Eloheinu Melech Olam Shiasa Nisim Lavotenu Bayamim Haheim Bazman Hazeh Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who performed miracles for our ancestors in those days at this time. And the third and final prayer that you heard chanted, which is said only on the first night of Hanukkah, was Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us alive, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this season. Amen. And that final prayer is said on many holidays, as it uh, thanks God for having enabled us to reach this season whether it happens to have been the season of Passover, when it's said in the context of Passover, the season of Hanukkah, when it's said in the season of Hanukkah, and so forth. In the time that remains for us on the show, let's listen to some traditional and not quite so traditional Hanukkah songs. I hope you enjoy them. In the base humming dash long ago, the beautiful menorah light would glow. With olive oil they burn throughout the night to show to all the toil away of life. Then once the wicked years on in pain. They broke through walls, they put out the flame. And when they call Hanim finally return, they found no real pure oil left to burn. Just then someone cried out, I found a flat. For one whole night this little jug will last. Then came a name so, so great Instead of just one night, it's last delay Just then someone cried out, I found the class For one whole night, this little job will last Then a name so, so great We light the candles, come, let's celebrate Oh, 
You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman. Let me offer a translation of the words of that last song, which is very much a uh, prayer in the spirit of Hanukkah. And as I offer the translation, uh, I suggest that we might also hear it in the Christological light of a, of a prayer for the uh, coming of the Messiah, for the coming of Jesus. So here's the translation of some of the verses we just heard. O mighty stronghold of my salvation, to praise you is the light. Restore my house of prayer, and there we will bring a thanksgiving offering. When you will have prepared the slaughter for the blaspheming foe, then I shall complete with a song of him the dedication of the altar. O mighty stronghold, I'm just repeating this. I'll repeat that now. O mighty stronghold of my salvation, to praise you is the light. O mighty stronghold of our salvation, Jesus, to praise you, to adore you, to love you is our delight. Restore our house of prayer, restore our souls to the immaculate state of grace. And there we will bring a thanksgiving offering. And what's a thanksgiving offering in Greek? It's Eucharist. What's Eucharist mean? It means thanksgiving offering. So restore our souls to a state of grace and we will offer the Eucharist. We will bring to our souls the Eucharist, the thanksgiving offering, when you have prepared the slaughter of the foes within us, the evil forces within us, the evil inclinations. Then we shall complete with a hymn of praise the dedication of the altar, the dedication of our hearts, minds, and souls to the Messiah Jesus. Anyway, back to the translation. My soul had been sated with troubles. My strength had been consumed with grief. They had embittered my life with hardship, with the calf-like kingdom's bondage. But with his great power, he brought forth the treasured ones. Pharaoh's army and all his offspring went down like a stone into the deep. And with the Lord's great power, with Jesus' great power, he brought forth his treasured ones. He brought forth the souls in a state of grace, and Pharaoh's army and all his offspring, all of the demons and the forces of hell that would would win us for the world of sin, went down like a stone into the deep. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show, dedicated to learning more about the festival of Hanukkah, which we're in the middle of right now, and how it relates to its fulfillment in Christmas. I hope you found it enjoyable and informative and perhaps even inspiring of some prayer and some heart reaching out that our Jewish brethren might know the full richness and meaning of everything which they have inherited in Judaism and which reaches its full flowering in the Catholic Church. I hope you join us again next week on Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Shulman on Radio Maria. I hope next week to have as my guest again another very, very, very grateful convert to the Catholic faith. In this case, he was a young Buddhist man from India who I had the great fortune to meet on my recent trip to Australia who had a very moving and very miraculous conversion to the Catholic faith, which I'm sure you'll find enjoyable. So join us again next week, same time, same place on Salvation is from the Jews on Radio Maria. Bye for now. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman.